Welcome to Shireen Conversations. I'm your host, Marjana Paravan. On today's episode, I am joined by Roya Shariat, the Senior Manager of Social Impact at Glossier. Her career trajectory has always been focused on doing good. With a degree in economics, Middle Eastern studies, and social and public policy from NYU, mixed with parents who have also dedicated their lives in the social impact space, there's no denying Roya's destiny to change the world. Roya reminds us that life is precious and fragile, and if there's one thing we've learned this past year, it's just that. Hi, Roya June. Thank you so much for joining me today on Sheeting Conversations. How are you? Thank you so much, Marjan. I'm honored to be here and just happy to be in your presence. I'm so excited to have this conversation. And for my audience, like I kind of like stalked you, I feel like in a way <laughs> I saw an article on LinkedIn about you and then you showed up on my for you page, which we'll talk about in a few minutes on TikTok. <laughs> and I just like slid into like your email and I was like, I need to talk to you. Let's, let's get this happening. So a little bit about you, um, you received your um, BA in um, economics, Middle Eastern studies and social and public policy from NYU. So it's very obvious that your whole, you know, your background, your trajectory was well destined to do big things for this world <laughs> and for us as Iranians and Middle Easterns. Um, so was there a moment in your life, a pivotal moment that really told you like before, like you're, you know, making your applications for college that this is, I need to do something specific in my life and my journey to do something for our people. I think it was never a moment in time, but it was really the environment I was raised in and like the cultural context, I'd say. I think having parents who are immigrants, being kind of a first generation American, growing up in this country, really knowing that my parents sacrificed a lot and worked so hard to get me where I am today, made me feel that there was no other option. I had to do some good in the world. Whatever route that might take could look different. But it was destined, like this is my life's work. And I'd say both of my parents are kind of in the social impact space. My dad through medicine, my mom through teaching, and we have like generations of teachers in my family. But it always, I always saw their fulfillment and their happiness and what the, what they did. And I think that also inspired me. But I think, I think in addition to growing up in that circumstances, we all kind of have a fundamental sense that life is precious and short. I think as immigrants, as very, you know, seeing so much of our culture change, seeing having family from a distance, it's all really, it's like harrowing and dark sometimes. I think also the past year and a half in this pandemic has been another brutal reminder that our lives are precious and fragile. And I've always had that kind of top of mind. And for me, like my life is too short to spend it on something that isn't purposeful or that isn't driving a positive change in the communities around me. I will, I will be wasting my own time and energy doing some other kind of pursuit. No, I completely agree with you. And I, I think you said it perfectly. I mean, children of immigrants, like people ask us all the time. I feel like, I don't know if you've been asked this, but like, how is it like in Iran? What did your parents go through? And I feel like sometimes ignorant because like our parents tell us stories, but I think sometimes they shelter us and they don't tell us exactly everything that they've gone through. And uh, I'm like, I, yeah, I don't really know. But I think that what you've, you know, put yourself through in your education is like, you've really taught yourself um, not only with your education, but going through like different, you know, paths and with um, obviously what your parents do for a living and your generations, it's like teaching yourself and like educating yourself to be able to answer those types of questions when you're presented with that. So, you know, I feel like you kind of answered my next question in that question. But if I were to ask you 10 years ago, like, what did you want to be? If I came up to you and said, Roya, 
Where do you see yourself today? If I were to speak to you and interview you, this is a big publication. Where do you see yourself? Who are you? What will you be doing today? You asked me 10 years ago, I think I would say trying to be the next Christiane Amanpour or trying to be a journalist, working abroad, telling the hard-hitting stories, trying to shine the light on things people don't know about. And I think storytelling is still a through line in my career. I kind of started in the nonprofit communication space, so another side of social impact. And I was trying to make sense of the work we were doing and try to tell the story to a broader audience. So I still find my ways of doing it. I still love writing. I love interviewing people as well. And I think I think I've I've taken a social impact path that has some storytelling versus taking a journalism path and trying to shine a light on those stories. But it's still something that's always in my heart and something that I want to continue kind of doing on the side, writing and telling people stories. And I feel like you did that. You kind of merged that. And with your role, you're currently the social, you're a senior manager of social impact at Glossier. And I think that's incredible. I feel like that role itself is a very new age role. It's not something that you, you hear a lot about it now, but you didn't hear about mm-hmm. it a lot like two years ago. So mm-hmm. if you can tell my audience a little bit of what your role is entails and what mm-hmm. are your hopes for organizations that are now adopting this um, title in their organizations? Yeah, I'd say... I'll start, I'll zoom out for a second and say the way I got to this role is just like unorthodox and a little wild. I happened to run into the founder and CEO of Glossier, Emily Weiss, on the street in New York one day, three years ago. And I told her the products I was wearing, how passionate I was about what she was building, and basically pitched her on this job, asking them what they were doing on social impact, realizing that they didn't have a person and saying, you know, if you want to do more, you should hire me. And There were a bunch of interviews and conversations. My job was created. So they weren't necessarily looking for me, but I found them and they found me. And almost three years later, I'm still here. I'd say my work in general is focused on how we can do good in really any capacity, whether that's running our employee volunteer program, partnering with nonprofits on social issues or in local cities we have a presence in, figuring out our perspective on those issues, and then also really cool projects like running our grant program for Black-owned beauty businesses, trying to make a more inclusive beauty industry. But it starts, the work starts with our team and internally, and we work, I'd say my work is a solid balance of, of both of those things. And what would I suggest to other companies trying to, thinking about this role or this kind of work? I'd say if you can start early, it's great to bake this into your DNA when you're young. And I know that There's so many other priorities founders and business leaders have. They want to make money. They want to get sales. They want to have followers. And so this thing can feel like an afterthought. But I think if you invest in social impact early, it's a lot easier. Your customers will know you for and you'll benefit from it. Your team will feel like it's authentic and true to the company. And you'll be able to build and grow it over time versus coming in way late in the game. Okay, this is a 10-year-old company. We have to figure out what we're doing. Um, customers have grown to expect this from brands more and more. And so I think it's important that companies deliver on it. And if you're not lucky or fortunate to be in your early stages, it's also never too late, but invest in it and be authentic and stick to your values. And also don't make social impact just about the like really exciting, heartfelt work. Also think about reducing the harm that you're doing as well, whether that's from an environmental perspective or social perspective. I think it's important to just be really thoughtful and thorough in this work and kind of bring it into every part of your business if you can. No, I love that. And I didn't actually think of it that way. I mean, I feel like um, social impact really became such a big deal 
with how the political climate happened the last two years of, you know, Mm -hmm. with BLM, with what's happening with everything, with the Asian community, you know, um, with organizations feeling the need to speak up on with a social post and, you know, consumers really coming at these organizations saying like, what are you doing? Like, where's, Mm -hmm. where's our dollars going? And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of companies felt the need to speak up really quickly and say, this is where it's happening, but it's, it's great. And I think you, you pinpointed it perfectly. It's think about it sooner rather than later that you feel like it's an afterthought Um, because then your employees feel like they're, you know, working for an organization that really does support they're not just their employees, but consumers, but also Mm -hmm. environmental changes too, because that's not something that, you know, we were thinking what, like, what was it now? I feel like it's aging us. Like in 20 years ago, when like Al Gore was saying, um, like, like global warming, we're like, what is that? The world is getting hot, cool. But like, we're now seeing those impacts happening. And what can we do to make sure that that this world stays for our generations to come? So that is a really good point. I didn't really see that as part of the social impact. Yeah, I think it's it's a real mixed bag, but I think that everyone wants to do more good in the world, but corporations are responsible for doing harm too. And so they need to look at both of those things in tandem and also don't wait until a moment of crisis to show solidarity with marginalized folks or communities of color. I think it's really, it's it's like it's happened and we've seen it, you know, something happens in the world and brands respond, but I think doing so proactively is even better and amazing. And we can use the Muslim ban as an example, you know, four years ago, have we seen statements of solidarity with the Muslim community when we've been facing, you know, xenophobia, harassment, and discrimination Mm -hmm. since we've been in this country for decades, for as long as we've been around, there's, there's been problems, but it actually had to take the ban of folks entering the country for brands to have a perspective and point of view on it. So I think if you can be proactive, all the better. And it doesn't have to be a social media post or even a post. If, as long as you're doing right by your team, like the, the rest of the work will follow. Um, that's That's my take. Yeah, no, and it speaks volumes of who you are as an individual, like to actually stop the founder of a company in the streets and say, what are you doing? This is what I can do for you. That speaks to who you are, too. It's not really saying, you know, like, this is what you should do for your consumer, but I can make that happen for you and take those steps to make that happen. So I applaud you for that. That's incredible. And I think that, you you know, you actually did help with that um, in the sense of for those that are listening who are also thinking like, whether they're graduating or thinking of their next chapter or second chapter of their life, like whether it's like, I'm graduating, I want to make an impact in, in my community, in my life, in the world, what do I do next? Or, you know, I've worked for an organization that, you know, never thought of this, but now I'm at a place in my life that I want to work for an organization or I want to do something that gives back. What would you say to those people? Is it stop a founder of an organization, a company that you love, or is it, what would you say would be the next steps in making those steps happen in their career? Great question. I think I have a few different different paths of kind of insight I might share, but I'll start with, well, it was the second time I stopped someone on the street and successfully got a job from them. In college, I stopped an executive producer at NBC and told that I saw he was wearing a hat and a bag. And so I asked him if he worked there or at a bus stop. He did. And he was like, I had no idea. He was a very high up. He's amazing guy, Rome Hartman. I think he's the executive producer of 60 Minutes now. He was working on Nightly News with Brian Williams and a few other shows. And I had interviewed there previously. I didn't get him. I told him my story. I said, I'd love to work there. 
he connected me with someone, put in a good word. And a week later, I had an internship at 30 Rock. And so again, if you if you do happen to see anybody on the street, you can have a conversation and pitch <laughs> yourself. Like you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I don't, I don't even mean literally stopping people on the street. It's finding someone on LinkedIn or finding someone's email address at the place you want to work. Like shoot your shot. You have nothing to lose and something to gain every single time. Beyond that, I'll also say like, there's no one path or there's no right way. Like I'm, I'm not going to say you need to have this degree or this education or this work experience to be here. You just have to have a passion for the work and a commitment to doing good. And you have to be, I'd say like thoughtful and inclusive minded and really think about the issues in an intersectional way. Um, we aren't single. Audrey Lord said we aren't single issue people because we don't live single issue lives or there's no such thing as a single issue. I've butchered that quote now, but I think just all of these things, kind of marginalization can compound on one another. So if you think through issues in your work in that way, you're already making an impact. And I think that like the one thing I'll say that benefited me is working in a nonprofit setting for several years and understanding fundamentally how they work, what they need, how they're successful. And now I'm on the business side of that working with nonprofits and I find those partnerships to be really fun and engaging. And I know what they need and I know what we need and I'm able to forge something better for it. But no impact is too small of an impact. You can start local and start a cleanup in your local park if you want to, or find a mutual aid group to help on the side. And that's all making a positive impact. So when Rumi quote, I don't know why I'm throwing all these quotes in here, but like I when love, you walk, I love quotes, please. <laughs> when you walk, the way appears. And so st- if you're interested, just start on the path and see what else comes and see what you're interested in. And there might be a few things that you really dislike or you might not enjoy, but learning what you hate and learning what you don't like gets you that much closer to what you love. So it's okay to to have some trial and error. It will get you closer on the path that you need to be on. That's so great. And, you know, I never make this like, uh, like about me, like kind of to feed into what you said, and I'm not ever condoning stalking in any way, even though I did start off this <laughs> interview with like how I stalked you and got this interview to happen. But I, I agree with you. Like, um, this is like, I don't even know how many years ago, I, Dry Bar, when it first came to the mm-hmm. market, I was a, such a fan of the brand. And it was only one location at the time. And I think uh, West... Um, West Hollywood had just, it was the only one and Brentwood had just opened and I was spending my days there. I was an intern at CBS studios working in finance and it was definitely not for me. My professor (laughs) was like, it's going to open doors for you. You want to be in journalism, work at CBS television, but in finance, I'm like, it definitely didn't. Finance did not mingle with the media, like none of that. So I'd spend my days at um, Dry Bar and I would tweet at Ali Webb. I'm like, I love this place. I want to work here. I want to work here. And literally one day, and she like, I feel like she used to tell the story back in the day. And I, I will definitely tell her that I mentioned this on my podcast, but she's one day, she's like, okay, leave me alone. Like, just meet me at West Hollywood. Like, I'll talk to you. And I was like, I just like want to work here. And she's like, okay, like, what do you want to do? And so like, I agree. Like, I mean, there's, there's ways wow. going about it. Like, don't, don't get, don't ever go to someone's house or stalk them. I will never encourage that. But if, if you are truly passionate about something and you do feel like you could do right by, or you're like, you can help, or, you know, you do have ideas to share. Uh, I think, right. Like you had the perfect example, like, what are you doing with this organization? How can I help? Or like, I have ideas, like certain ways, like definitely I think it's, what is it going to hurt to like, bring it up mm-hmm. to someone, you know, mm-hmm. what they're not going to respond. You know, that's something. If but the worst case scenario is they don't respond or they say, no, that's not even a worst case. 
Exactly. Exactly. So I agree. And like you said, even starting small local organizations, volunteering, you get to find like the uh, opportunities or even like um, chapters or charities or organizations that really mean something to you. And you can actually build off of that. So thank you so much for sharing that with my audience. And so with that, I really wanted to share with everybody how you came about my For You page on TikTok. And for those listening, I do not do any dances on TikTok, just so everyone is aware of that. So if you (laughs) find me, you will not find any embarrassing dance <laughs> But can you please share with our audience? I wanted to, I want you to be the one that announces this, but I love that you inhabit our culture within your TikTok and it went viral if I'm not mistaken, your page. So if you don't mind sharing your handle and exactly how and what drove you to create this page, I would love that. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. So my handle is my first and last name, just Roya Shariat on TikTok. The page is crazy. I have 74,000 followers, 4 million some likes. Unexpected. I I'd started it at the beginning of the pandemic, being I was, I came home for Noru's for Iranian New Year, thinking that I'd be home. I mean, it was like mid March, thinking it was like, I'll be home for a week. And then I, it was like, oh my God, I'm going to be here for a while, I guess. And I started realizing, you know, my mom's ability to fit the leftovers of our food into the right size Tupperware containers every single time was just such an underrated skill. And I would sit in her kitchen just watching her and without fail, every time she'd nail it right up to the brim, she'd close it. And so I started taking videos of it just mainly for myself, for my own humor, for just keeping track of memories and remembering this kind of hectic time where I was with her. And then I think. And maybe a few weeks into posting, there was a video of her putting away which to me is like a pretty plain and basic Iranian dish. Like it's less exciting. It's the food my grandma loved to eat, but like very, very average, average, not average in taste, but of the kind of things that our, yeah. our culture the, has, it's, it's like pretty straightforward. The bread and butter yeah. kind of in a sense. Yes. Yes. Like yeah. an everyday staple. And so she's putting away the in the perfect Tupperware. And then I don't have push notifications on my TikTok. I still don't. So I really don't know if anything's happening until I open the app. And then I open the app, you know, a day later and I see like, just like the red notifications and it's just coming in and coming in and refreshing and hundreds of thousands of people were engaging with this video. Like, oh my God, she is the queen. She's a queen of spatial awareness. Can I come to your house? This cooking looks so good. This is our mom now. Wow, what an icon, queen of spatial awareness, CEO of Tupperware, whatever, you name it, she's been called it. It's it's amazing. And I just kept going. And the video series, there's probably 38 parts to it now. The most recent video is her putting Super Joe in a container, which has like 3.5 million views uh, as of like, you know, yesterday. And it was posted like a week ago. It's just nuts. I unbelievable. The other series of videos besides the Tupperware. I was realizing when I was posting her flipping the Tadik, people were super excited. And Tadik TikTok became a thing with Iranians, non-Iranians it's art. posting. It's art. <laughs> it's art. And people really like the crunch noise. It has an ASMR effect on people's ears. So I started posting Tadik TikTok, which also kind of went viral very quickly. The Tupperware stuff has put her in the media. She's been featured in Elle magazine on CBC and Australian news. Um, I think there's just something, something even beyond the skill or the food, which are both amazing, but something maternal and comforting about Mm -hmm. it that people really seem to enjoy. And it reminds 
reminds them of their families or their aunties or their grandmas or someone in their life or some folks who have had, you know, traumatic and difficult relationships with their family like yeah. these videos because this is very different for them. Um, I'm just mainly grateful that my mom has a platform and people want to see what she makes and want to see what she fits in Tupperware. She, both of my parents are just really, really incredible, amazing people. And I feel just humbled to be their offspring and I always want to celebrate them. And so for me, this is like immortalizing my mom and celebrating her and showing the world what I'm, I'm getting emotional showing the world really like what an amazing person she is and I've had this idea to write a cookbook with her for several years now but you know I'm plagued with self-doubt and I I think that no one will want to hear what I have well to we say do what I have we do yeah yeah and it's it's also it's like it's internalized and it's externally you know like we're we're not a community that's super visible and this idea has always been in my mind I've always had the name Maman and me for the cookbook. And it was really seeing the response to the food on TikTok, um, seeing the enthusiasm and interest for it made me feel like, okay, maybe there is an audience for this. Maybe people will like this. Maybe people will learn from it. So I've started the Instagram page called Maman and Me. I share some food. I share some recipes on there. I've shared some on TikTok too. Writing through recipes now, getting my mom, I mean, I, I, you know, this, like they don't yeah. use measurements. She's like, you know, put this much of water in the, it's so oh, true. How am I going to translate this to, to anybody so true. To, to just up to your second knuckle? Like, that's not a measurement. beauty of so- videos, right? <laughs> You're like, please yes. reference my Instagram from December, yes. 2020. <laughs> yes. Yes. So working through that now, I think I, I will, I have to determine whether I want to go publisher route, whether I want to self-publish, write a cookbook proposal and get all, shop it all out. But I focus on some of the recipes right now and we'll see where it'll go. I think even if the end result is I make a cookbook for myself with all her recipes, that will be success. If I make something I can share with the world, that's great too. But just trying to do this to let the cooking and cuisine live on because if we don't carry it on, it's lost forever. It's lost it's for so a long true. time. You just gave me chills because you're so right. Because my mom is exactly the same way. Like, I don't even know like how she, you're like, there's no such thing as a recipe. Like there's no cookbooks. Like even if we go like to restaurants, like my sister's always challenge my mom, like mom, we challenge you to like learn how to make this. And like, she'll like taste it and like make it. And she'll do it. And yeah. And that's like, I don't even like, I I don't even read directions on like the back of a box. So like, you're right. So even if this is not something and knock on wood, I do believe it's something and there's a market for it. And I believe it, it is something that is going to be successful. But even like, I love your positivity, even if it doesn't, you know, go the way that I do believe that it will for you. It is something that you can live on and keep on in generations to have that something that your mom has created. So no, I love I that. So. I hope yeah. so. We'll see. I think our our cuisine is so special it deserves more attention and recognition and sure. if we can make it more accessible even better and i'm also excited at the intersection of like iranian and american cooking there were things we innovated and changed in different ingredients and things that we've done in this country you know spaghetti tadig is one example of like yes that's okay we make spaghetti with red sauce and meat like americans but we also make the crispy crust around it let's talk about that or chips and must i mean again that's not necessarily an Americanization. People in Iran and all over the diaspora love that, but that's a real snack. And we, we, need, we need to highlight that because it's so good. It's so true. No, I love that. And you're so right about that. It's, it's not talked about enough and we're, we don't get credit. That's what it is. We don't get credit yeah. for it enough, but yeah. 
No, I love this. And I, I definitely, let's just say that if you do go through with it, please let shooting conversations be the first to know and promote it because I would be honored. Uh, uh, yeah, we should, we'll get my mom on the podcast. She's, I would she's actually awesome. love that. I, I would love that. That'd be amazing. No, but Roya June, thank you so much for taking the time. And again, like, thank you for answering my emails and allow me to stalk you as of it all course. makes sense that you are someone who understands that. So, um, but thank you for giving my audience a glimpse of what social impact is, what they can do themselves at such a local level. If they want to get involved, what they can do today to get involved. And thank you for everything that you're doing. It's an honor and a gift to be here. So thank you for thinking of me, for having me and for letting me share a little bit of what I'm up to. For more inspiring interviews, head on over to shittingconversations.com. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. And don't forget to rate and review and follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Shitting Conversations. You can also watch episodes on YouTube. I'm Majina Paravon, and you've been listening to Shitting Conversations. Thank you.